Thanks, Judy. So again, just as we look back at these pictures and think of where we've come, just let's keep like cycling through this idea, or not this idea, but the going through in our minds, like what of God, what of man, and so what? Harrison kind of reminded me of that in his, I think it was last week's sermon. I was like, right, that's kind of what I'm going for each time. Like, why is God the hero? Why is man zero? And um, so what? You know, like, what is that pointing towards? Um, so in the beginning, of course, we know God was there. He's eternal. Um, we weren't there, but he used men of God to uh, inspire them through the power of his Holy Spirit to write his word down. That's why we always go back to the Bible as our authority. Um, you're not going on my authority or, or what I think of the scriptures. You're, we're going to the scripture, and that's our eternity chart. We had the triune God at the beginning, and that's why we go to the word for our authority. Um, God created the heavens and the earth. He did it in a particular order over um, seven days. Um, seventh day he rested, it says. He did it, um, he said, yeah. He, he separated, he, there, they, he was there in the beginning, the triune God. Um, there was darkness. He created the light uh, before the sun, which is fascinating. He separated the waters. He, he filled them with animals, uh, with fish and birds, and then dry ground appeared and the vegetation, plants, each according to its own kind. Um, so he had a very particular order setting the stage uh, for mankind. Um, he, made it, he made angels somewhere in this sort of time period. Um, and he made them thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000. And it didn't tire him because God is, is an unlimited God. He does not tire. Even on the seventh day when it says he rested, it's more, you could probably say he arrested. He, he stopped. It wasn't that he gained his energy back. <laughs> he doesn't deplete in any form or fashion. Um, and then he made, uh, he said, let us make mankind in our image. Female and male, he made them. So two genders only, male and female in, their, in his image. Um, and everything up to this point was perfect. There was no evil, corruption, sickness, disease, death. Um, because our God is perfect, he is holy, and he does not make anything imperfect. Because he made everything, he owns everything, so he's the ultimate ruler, owner, boss. Um, there was one particular angel named uh, Lucifer, and he was very prized and decorated. Um, but he rose in pride, saying, God, you're not good, I don't need you. He thought he could overthrow God, existed by his own power, by leading a rebellion. Um, and uh, he thought he could have the final say over his life. And what did God do? God's not going to have his power and glory contested for so God, in disgrace, throw, threw him down to the earth. That's where the lake of fire, or when the lake of fire was created, uh, he prepared it for uh, Lucifer, now named Satan, which means enemy of God. Um, he prepared it for Satan and his followers, which was a bunch of the angels who fell with him. And then we continue. He was in the garden, or he came into the garden into a serpent um, and deceived Eve and Adam uh, followed suit. There was one tree in the garden that they were told not to eat of, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, 
mankind was built for a dependent relationship on God. God wanted them to depend on him to decipher right from wrong and all this stuff. They didn't need to be independent. But this test was, was in a sense, they were looking to be independent. They were deceived. They fell. Uh, that was the fall of man. And don't, be, don't ourselves be tricked thinking there's this one glorious tree and it was just like the epicenter of the whole place. I mean, positionally, yeah, middle of the garden, I think it might say something about that. But there, it was a garden of plentiful. Our God is lavish and abundant. He does not shortchange his creation. Um, so it's not like it was just like they're drooling over this, like as Harrison would say, this tree of poutine or something in the middle, right? Like there was many other fruits and everything that they could eat from. Um, but it was a test and they failed. And uh, they, sin entered, the temptation entered into their heart. They were now fallen. They were now, that rela- relationship with them now was broken, was dead, you could say, because they were separated from that perfect relationship with God. So they were now physically dying, which w- wasn't the way they were created. Um, and spiritually dead. They were cut off from the Creator. Um, interestingly, God being the one who still pursues and initiates graciously, um, so they, they didn't deserve this, He graciously uh, called out to them, Where are you? What have you done? Uh, have you done what I asked you not to do? And uh, there was blame shifting, you know, He told me to. And then the man, the woman you put here, it's her fault, and it's because you put the tree here. And, um, anyways, we just see the shame, the guilt, the fear, which was not present um, beforehand. They tried covering up with fig leaves. God did not accept that covering. It was inadequate. So he provided them with an adequate covering, which restored their relationship to a degree. I mean, there's still sin and temptation in a fallen world, but they weren't going to be obliterated by, uh, from here as they trusted in what God was providing for them, this, this covering of animal skins, which would also would have been the first death they would have witnessed because there wasn't death in the garden, as I said. Um, they had sons, Cain and Abel. Uh, one came to God by faith, Abel, offering a, a, a lamb, first fruit, fat of the offering. Cain did not. He uh, was angry when he was confronted by God. Uh, he was jealous of his brother that he was accepted. You could see there was a, prou- a proudness of heart um, and sinfulness. Um, so he wasn't coming God's way, which was by faith. In jealousy, he killed his brother. So you just imagine the parents seeing the full-blown effects of their sinful choice now taking place in their first two-born sons. The world got desperately wicked. There was a man, Noah, who was righteous. Um, God instructed him to build a boat. Noah did not initiate this. Again, God in his graciousness uh, told him what to do, how to do it, what size, what wood, all of this. And told him to, to preach. You know, he was a preacher of righteousness, it says. So for 100, 120 years, he preached righteousness as he was building this boat away from the water, being probably mocked the whole time. People had ample opportunity to know God and trust him. So God was patient. He was forbearing with their evilness. I think it says, in, was it here or in Babel when he says, uh, all of their thoughts were evil? Was it with the flood? Yeah, yeah, in that time. And so... I mean, God was still gracious to open the door on the ark for anybody to come on board who would come his way, trusting uh, in the message of what Noah was saying. But just Noah his, and his family got on board. Um, it had no rudder, no steering. They had to trust entirely in God. God closed the door. God secured them in. It wasn't on their goodness, on what, that Noah was just a great man, that he was accepted before the Lord. No, he came, again, God's way by faith and repentance. God closed the door, secured them in. God controlled where that boat would go. God parked it where he would park it. And um, when they came out, God told them kind of the similar message as before. You know, spread about, fill the earth. 
Did they do it? They disobeyed again. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They, in a sense, wanted to steal glory from God. They wanted to be praised. They wanted to seek their own security by living in the city. So they weren't trusting in God. God has proven himself trustworthy, both for the good of man plus the judgment of man. What he says is going to happen. There's no thwarting God's plan. He is sovereign. What he decrees will happen. Um, But mankind and their limited sight and perspective and sinful nature that loves darkness continues to think they could win out against the all-powerful sovereign God. What happens? He comes down, he uh, confuses their language, and he still accomplishes what God, what he intended to accomplish, um, which was for them to spread about and, um, and multiply. We get to Abraham, Father Abraham, who was obedient um, you know, he had to leave a family, a history of idolatry, where his father, Terah, was an uh, idol worshiper. Uh, he followed God. His nephew, Lot and Sarah, uh, also had an indication of, by faith, coming God's way. They, they, it wasn't uh, a perfectly smooth road, but they were counted righteous. Um, the, of course, there was the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah with the unrighteousness of the people there through their um, perverseness. They were judged. This is these the flood and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah are these signs of God's wrath on sin. Sin does not go unpunished. There's consequences for sin, both on a large scale and on individually as well. Last week, hope oh, that's where I'm going to stop. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of the big points I just wanted to touch on, and then I want uh, Brett to take it away for last week's lesson. Whatever you're comfortable with. You can uh, take the chair, if you wish, or if you want to be pointing at the picture, that's fine, too. (laughs) Actually, I may have some pictures here, too, to help along the way on this. Today, the implications of that are that as sinners, we are all under God's wrath, his death sentence, and as we are owned by him, he has the complete right to 
sent us to the lake of fire. However, he does provide, he provided the deliverer. Um, and so then there's the acceptable substitute for death on our behalf to rescue us from spiritual death. Um, but not only that, then also God, we can trust in God's promises that when times of testing come, we must still humble ourselves and recognize that God is good, that he will work out this for good. He will keep his promise true and that we will not see spiritual death, regardless of what happens. Thanks, Brett. That's awesome. And that was on short notice, people, I will add. <laughs> as with Tony as well. <laughs> I can give you a bunch of pictures too. Right. <laughs> yeah, before we get there. Before you get there. Um, with uh, Isaac uh, being the one that was promised to Abraham to be the one through uh, which the descendants of Abraham would be reckoned, and so that was one of the, one of the things that uh, helped. Abraham trusts God uh, that no matter what Isaac was going to somehow be alive to have children. Um, Isaac married at the age of 40. Anyone want to guess uh, how old Isaac was when he had his I was going to say first child but first children. That is a good question. Yep, about 60. I was like, I'm just going to guess. 60. You so get a jelly bean. There, there was actually, <laughs> kind of like with Abraham and Sarah, 20 it years. was not automatic that they started having uh, children. It, it became an, an issue, and, uh, and it was enough of an issue that uh, Isaac had to pray about it, and, uh, um, and God answered their prayer, but uh, waited 20, close to 20 years. And so... It is uh, some, kind of interesting to see um, how so often the promises of God don't necessarily come in our timing preference. And we, we, we need to, that's part of, of trusting God, though, is that uh, he will keep his promise in his own good time. So we have... Uh, Can I just add to that? It's, sure. just, it's interesting with the story. I know this is jumping one generation ahead as well as where we're not. But the fact that both, uh, or for all three, mm -hmm. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all married to barren women. Mm -hmm. All three women were yeah. barren. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you have this idea of, like, you have the age and you have, like, the, the doubt because of your circumstances. And yet God says, no, I will be faithful. Yeah. Regardless of what you think the circumstance is throwing at you, regardless of timing. Yeah. And so all three women were barren. And yeah. yet, the generations came through them. Yeah. Not only generations, but the Messiah. Mm -hmm. yep, that's excellent. Yep, thank you for that, Kevin. Anyway, age 60, uh, these two guys now looking to be late teens, uh, maybe early 20s. Not sure exactly uh, how old they are in that. Um, I think Genesis is the origin of the phrase, Oh, brother. <laughs> uh, Where art thou? <laughs> uh, that, uh, the, the fresh 
frustrations with brothers uh, definitely come up from time to time, uh, or often, in uh, in the book of Genesis. Anyway, uh, yeah, Esau and Jacob, uh, and I believe this is supposed to be Esau, and this is supposed to be Jacob <coughs> with the stew there. Uh, they grow up, uh, and there's a prophecy actually that God gave to Rebecca, the mother of these two, um, when she, they were still in his womb. You know, they were, it was like they were having a wrestling match inside her. And uh, she asked, uh, Rebecca asked God, what's going on? And, and, she, and, uh, and God said, well, uh, two nations are going to come from you, and uh, they will uh, be rivals uh, to each other and the older will serve the younger. Fast track to here, and uh, one day uh, Esau comes from a day of hunting. He liked to hunt, so I'm thinking he might, be, might have been hunting uh, or working in some way, and he's just starving to death, at least in his mind, he <laughs> he's starving to death. And it just so happens that Jacob, no, yeah, Jacob, uh, is making some nice red stew. And, uh, and, and so Esau asks uh, Jacob, uh, could you give me some of that stew? And Jacob says, sure, if you will uh, sell me your birthright. And uh, Esau goes, um, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and it seems, like I kind of trivialized it, but it actually is, a huge uh, decision with major implications that uh, he did not um, honor the Lord in making him the firstborn and the certain responsibilities and, and blessings and privileges that go along with being the firstborn. Um, even though it was prophesied, still uh, it was a choice to uh, ignore what God uh, had rightfully given him, giving, giving that up for you know, a bowl of stew. He just did not uh, uh, have the right values. And, and God looked at him and, uh, and just said, you know, I can't honor that kind of lack of faith and trust uh, in me. Um, later on, uh, uh, Isaac is getting quite old and wants to give uh, blessings to his children, and he wants to bless um, Esau as the firstborn, and tells him to go out hunting, get make him some of his favorite food, and uh, and uh, make him a nice meal so he could pronounce the blessing. Uh, Rebecca, I'm not sure if because. Uh, just because um, Jacob was her favorite or thinking back to the promise of God says uh, to Jacob uh, I'm going to make some nice food your, your, your dad's favorite food and I want you to go and get the blessing instead of your, your brother Esau Jacob goes along with it gets dressed up so that he uh, feels hairy like his brother and deceives his father gets the blessing and uh, Esau gets denied now both uh, birthright and the, the blessing. Uh, Esau is fuming with anger.
here and he's comforting uh, himself with the thought that dad's going to die pretty soon and then I'm going to get even with my brother. Uh, Rebecca hears of this and asks uh, Isaac to send uh, Jacob away to marry one of her relatives so that uh, with the she says that she doesn't like the Canaanite women around here that uh, Esau married. And, uh, and so, uh, at any rate, Isaac is uh, sent off on the way uh, at a place that uh, is called Bethel or was named Bethel later. Um, Jacob falls asleep and has this vision or dream of stairway to heaven with uh, angels ascending and descending. And in the midst of that, God speaks to uh, Jacob, saying that in you, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, God, in his grace, uh, not because of anything that really he had done to earn it, uh, being a, a deceiver, was saying, through your family line is going to come my promised uh, deliverer. And it, and it shows that God is, again, in initiator of his plan, how he's going to deal with mankind, his choosing of, of people, and uh, at any rate, tremendous promise of God, and boy, there's a lot of history that happens between <laughs> there. At any rate, uh, just hit the high points. Okay, uh, next comes baby wars. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And uh, Jacob goes to his uncle Laban, and uh, long story short, marries, wants to marry Rachel, gets given uh, Leah first. That was quite a surprise on the wedding night. And, uh, or the morning actually. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Too late. After, <laughs> yeah, after working seven years for her, uh, had to wait a week to marry the one he really loved uh, with the promise of working seven more years. Um, ended up that Rachel, right Kevin? had the, the same problem of not being able to conceive. So Rachel gives uh, her servant Bilhah, I think, to uh, Jacob as a wife to have children through her, which he did. Um, Leah uh, stops having children after, I think, four. Uh, and so she gives her servant girl to Jacob as a wife. I think her name is Zilpah. And, uh, and yes, have children through her. In total, uh, 12 children. And uh, um, like uh, Isaac and Rebecca had their favorite children, Jacob had her, his favorite son, and that was Joseph, the firstborn of Rachel. And has... Uh, gives him a, a, a very nice and noticeable coat of many colors, um, which not only gave the idea of him being the favorite, but would also, uh, some say, signify that uh, rulership, that he would actually get it easier, that uh, he would be kind of an administrator over his brothers. And the brothers were not too impressed with that. Uh, and. Eventually, when the, the brothers are out uh, taking care of the sheep far away from home, uh, Isaac, no, Jacob sends um, Joseph to check on them, 
and they come up with a plan to uh, first kill him. These decide not to kill him. They instead sell him to some Midianite tra uh, traders who bring him to Egypt. In Egypt, uh, he tries to honor God, but he ends up getting in trouble uh, based on a lie uh, and put into jail uh, where he's given the power to in interpret dreams for two people. Uh, long story short, get rises to power and becomes a ruler over Egypt and becomes uh, uh, a person that his brothers come to get food from, which fulfills some dream, a dream that I didn't tell you about, uh, that uh, the, the dream that the sun, moon, and stars would uh, bow, uh, bow down to him, signifying that he would be a ruler in some way over his whole family. And when his brothers came and bowed down before him, that was the fulfillment of the dream. And, uh, and so through this, the whole nation of Israel came to live in Egypt. Um, fast forward 400 years, and they are slaves in Egypt, and which also fulfilled the prom, uh, prophecy of God to believe Abraham that they, uh, his descendants would be uh, slaves in a foreign land for about 400 years. Thank you. Awesome. We're done. <laughs> That's good. Good review. Um, I realize a big blunder I did in my review of the other pictures was talking of like the promise in, in Genesis 3.15. <laughs> there was the fall, and I never talked of the promise. So you guys should have cuffed me for that. <laughs> because, of course, all of it from then onward points to, um, points to the deliverer, uh, God's rescue plan, the one rescue plan. And, uh, and that's what we're kind of going to dive into uh, tonight is as we go through all the way through the scripture, you've heard the, the, the word maybe scarlet thread through the scriptures. And so there's, there's a scarlet thread. That's God's deliverer. It is the main thread that ties, you know, the Genesis 1-1 and before that even, all the way through to Revelation and beyond, which we haven't even lived the entire word yet uh, in terms of history. Um, but we just see this cycle again and again and again. God creates man for, for an intimate relationship with him. Uh, people think they can go their own way. They try and devise another way. God's like, no, I'm holy. There's one way. I've already given you one way when you didn't even deserve one way. Um, and the cycle just perpetuates because uh, ultimately a sinful man loves darkness. Um, and women, mankind. Um, so yeah, because of the sin, the relationship with God is broken. That's like a death of a relationship, and that's how we use, use the word death, is this, uh, this separation spiritually uh, and, and physical death is separation soul and spirit from the body. So the relationship with God is broken. It, it, it's died. Um, God uh, wants to restore relationship, um, which is only made possible through, through the deliverer. Um, and so everyone up to this point in time was forward-looking to the, the, to the deliverer. And so there was a forbearance, as we have with the straws, uh, covering over their sindet rope. Um, which would one day get dealt with. So tonight's, tonight's primary hook, which I have, I think, on your sheet there, is uh, evil cannot hinder God's plan for the deliverer. I actually changed this just last minute. I had it different, this hook. It, it used to be uh, um, God's, something about God's plan for deliverer. God ensures the plan of his deliverer continues or something like that. I can't remember. I've already, anyways, flushed it out of my brain. Um, 
But I was like, well, that was sort of like last lesson, and that's sort of like all the lessons to come. <laughs> so I was like, it's not really like an essential hook. It's an essential hook, but it's really like the giant hook. Yeah. Like, you know? So, I mean, last lesson when, um, when Isaac was spared, and there was a substitute in his place, that ram, um, God preserved his plan of a deliverer. Uh, tonight, when we look at the story of Esau and uh, Jacob and Esau, um, the one rejects what would have sort of culturally, naturally been the line of the deliverer. And so it's like, oh man, like God's plan's getting thwarted again here. No, it never got thwarted and it's not going to get thwarted here. God plans or God preserves the plan of his deliverer again. He switches God's, you know, in a sense, you could say switches gears to Jacob. Um, anyways, but the, what, what was prominent to me as I was reviewing this lesson this week and studying it through was, was just how that there's evil apparent in all the people, <laughs> You know, Jacob, Esau, uh, yeah, like uh, Joseph, his brothers, and Pharaoh. And it's just, it's very clear. Even like Rebecca, um, you know, the deceit, uh, the, the, the slickness, you know, used car salesman kind of thing going on here. So I was like, you know what? The hook, evil cannot hinder God's plan for the deliverer. Because we'll see what we would expect to be normal when we look at the culture, like it should have, you know in quotations, should have gone through Esau. That's man's perspective. But uh, God in his sovereignty is not limited by man's sinfulness. <laughs> um, so anyways, hopefully that helps to, to stick it in your brains tonight. Um, there'll be a few other things we'll do- delve into about you know Esau ignoring God's promises, God uh, choosing Jacob, and God's plans yeah, still prevailing. Sorry, I'm going to be squinting a lot more because I'm looking off of a very small (laughs) screen of notes here tonight. Um, So yeah, we're covering a huge chunk tonight and I'm really, I'm jumping over like, you know, where Isaac followed the pattern of his father with Abimelech and deceiving about his wife. I'm jumping over, you know, some of the, some of the details, but again, this is 101 and and this actually tonight is going to take us from mid-Genesis to the end. Um, So, and from here, we're going to kind of be not picking, eh, I guess picking up the pace as we continue forward. You, you can kind of see the, the pictures there that there's jumps, bigger jumps happening, so to speak. You know, you see Moses in the basket and then burning bush, Passover, dividing of the sea and then manna. So we start to clip along a little here. Um, but really the, the biggest stuff has been established right now. Like now, it's like when a baby's being built in a womb. It's like you read like, oh, like, you know, this has happened and now they've got eyes and now their lungs and now their heart is beating like this and now they're, fingernail beds are here but then like once they're like eight months or so seven months or whatever it is it's like now they're just getting bigger so that's kind of what we're doing now the baby's already developed the baby's just going to get bigger <laughs> i hope that makes sense you know you're, you're right in the middle of it right you're reading uh what to expect now.com every every week right yeah we did three times <laughs> so where are we at here um so yeah, Tony touched on, on you know, when Rebecca was uh, talking about these twins within her, uh, that the older would serve the younger, which seems really backwards culturally. So in Genesis, we can go there, uh, 25, 23. Genesis 25, 23. Right before that, she's asking, why is this happening? Why are these two children struggling with inside of me? She asks God. In 23, it says, And the Lord told her, 
The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And your older son will serve your younger son. Huh. So that's different. She wasn't anticipating that. Uh, nobody in their culture anticipated that. That's, that's different. Um, when they grew up, yeah, of course, Elder, uh, Esau was a hunter. Jacob preferred uh, to stay at home, kind of a mama's boy, it seemed like. Um, as a firstborn, Esau would rightfully have gotten a double portion of his father's inheritance, both through being in the sort of the rightful one in the line of the deliverer, as well as being the eldest and receiving the father's blessing. Uh, so in his old age, his father would also bless the eldest son who would become head of the family. Had that have went forward like that, Esau would have been the guardian of the promises that God had for the deliverer, but uh, we are going to find out what actually happened with that tonight. Do you remember what God had promised to Abraham? The I wills. Father of many nations. Father of many nations, yeah. Make your name great. Make your name great. Yeah. Bless all nations through you. Yeah. Yeah, and descendants, do we say descendants? Yeah, like the stars, like the sand, yeah. And basically innumerable or uncountable, nearly, from a man's vantage point. So all of this was Esau's potential birthright, an incredible blessing that he rejects. Could somebody read for me 29 to 34 there in chapter 25 of Genesis? 29 to 34. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that bread stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. A little fun fact. It's interesting how like he was described Esau as being like he was born like hairy and red, and now th- th- I think that's a play on the word there, which it says in the in the NLT here. Uh, Esau, his other name Edom, which means red, and he was given red stew. Just like the intertwine of the of the words here is God's fingerprints on the on the whole writing, isn't it? Um. So what value did he place on his birthright? Zero. Zero. Yeah. Stew. Zero. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like he's being promised the lottery here or stew. And it's funny because it's one meal. It's not like he's promising to like feed him for like Yeah, totally. Like, like it's one meal. Yeah. Like I know. Laban knew what he was doing, right? Like he, yeah. he had, you know, seven, served me for seven years, you know? Like that was, that guy knew what he was doing. Esau. Yeah, pretty short-sighted. But what does that tell us about his, his attitude or his perspective? What verse Philippians comes to mind uh, where it says their God is their stomach. Yeah. Yeah, it's showing he has a habit that's well entrenched right now. And it's sensual. I mean, the, the appetite is a sense, so it's sensual as well. Um, Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 16, and 17 uh, talks a bit further about him here. You want to flip there quick? It's all good. Hebrews 
12, 16, and 17. Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as a firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. That's fascinating. Um, so he's referred to as immoral, godless, because he refused to worship God, uh, to honor God's word, and to honor God's promises. He went his own way, living for the things of this world, and ultimately refusing to repent. Do you guys kind of start to see as we talk about repentance in this time? It seems like it wasn't a package deal like how we sort of say it is today. And I know I have a slide that sort of shows what repentance is. But here is very much an attitude, like your total way of thinking. And I don't think that's any different than it should be today. <laughs> you know, this, he didn't go God's way. He didn't think God's way was ultimate. He, he thought his way was the way to go, proudly living his own life. Um, Genesis 27 is kind of also the whole story, but I'm just wondering if I should read the entire chapter for you guys or if we've, if we've gone over it well enough here. I'll take a popular vote. Do you guys want me to read all of 27? Or do you have a good snap there? Pardon? You've read it recently? Yeah. Okay, we're, we're up to speed. Good. So yeah, just the general story in 27. Uh, Jacob steals Esau's blessing through this. So yeah, Tony did an awesome job of reviewing that. Read it some more if you want, but just for the sake of time tonight, um, we'll continue forward. So as Isaac's life was coming to an end, uh, Jacob further stole from Esau by deceiving their father in order to receive their father's special blessing, which was meant for the firstborn. Um, there was the blessing of leadership of the family, as I said, the promises about a great name, a great nation, and the coming deliverer. I'll just read the one... A verse here, uh, 41, 27, 41. So at this point in time, Jacob already uh, did the switch or did the birthright exchange for the stew, um, got the blessing. And it says here, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So what was, his, what was Esau's response to all that had just transpired? Grudge. Hatred, yeah. Yeah. He, was, he was, uh, had premeditative murder on his mind. Yeah, exactly. So Cain and Abel are, are tied tighter than we, can, than we would think initially. Did Esau really care, do you think, about the promises coming through him of the deliverer? What do, you think, what do you think he was upset about losing? Ah, the liver's not coming through my line, or this other stuff? Blessing stuff. Like, gimme, gimme. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was going for the goods, it seemed like. In, in, when Kevin wrote that, he despised his birthright. Yeah, that's what it says, yeah. Yeah, he merely wanted the honor and the leadership and the wealth of the blessing. It wasn't... It wasn't like he was this righteous man who wanted to retain the line of the deliverer. That's pretty evident. He was looking for the things of this world. Um, I mean, so we're seeing a shifting of gears of how, how things are going to flow here with the lineage. But was Jacob's character any better than Esau's? 
Maybe yeah. a little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a little. I don't think he, he obviously wanted a birth rate that. That's true. Spot. That's true. Yeah. But he's a, I don't know, crafty. Yeah. Yeah, he was crafty. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I get this like weird feel. It's like, why did God work with Jacob? You know, like I hear I'm thinking very self-righteously. Why did God work with Jacob? And I mean, I get that he works with me, but why did he work with Jacob? You know, <laughs> not a good attitude to have podcast people. Um, yeah, because it's like you can have this. We can almost have this illusion that, well, Jacob was doing something right. That's why that's why God, you know, worked with Jacob, but not Esau. But is that the right thinking? Is that how God works? You earn his merit. Do you earn God's merit and grace? No, you can't. Or even if Jacob was, in our view, slightly better than Esau, does slightly, is slightly better good enough? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, is that, yeah. you just have to be slightly better than this, then God will, you'll be acceptable. To yeah. Like, no. I mean, you look at God being, being a holy God, totally ultimate, with Satan, how many, like he was just slightly worse than the rest of the angels because he only made one slip up. But that's all it took, right? And so, yeah, I mean, God is just ultimately gracious with Jacob. Being also made in his image. Yeah, he, has, he had a sin debt, just as every human born in Adam has a sin debt like we have. He, he didn't, doesn't excuse Jacob's sin, but he does deal with him as he, as he goes along. Um, That's right. God is all-seeing. He's all-knowing. Yeah. It says in the second last line there. So yeah, he, he, knew, um, he knew Jacob's ultimate heart. I mean, he's still a sinner, but... How was, as we look at the other brother, the older brother Esau, how was he blinded by um, these promises, which included being in the line, in the line of, the, of the deliverer? We mentioned the word sensual. Basically, he was looking for instant gratification. Yeah, looking for the instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like a similar vein. It seems to me that he just was interested in the here and now, right now, what I want. Yeah. And not really considering greater things. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he would have, there would have been a lot he would have known in his being firstborn, culturally, what would come of that. Um, but yeah, he was so, so distracted and occupied with the here and the now and the immediate gratification. <clears throat> he must have been a bad hunter coming back hungry. Even with, that, even with his choice of, of wives, hmm, yeah. like he didn't have any respect for that part of what his parents that's right. I think what is it saved just before? I think we don't read it tonight, but it, it talks of him and his wife, wives causing so much distress on his parents, like like to no end. It says or something like that. I can't remember what chapter it is, but it's just like oh man, you hear that you get this picture of like it wasn't easy for them. <laughs> um, That's why she asked Isaac to send Jacob away. Yeah. Yeah. 
Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Yeah. Like I believe there is truth to what she's saying, but I think the more the motivation behind that, because it says that it's right after that is where she learns that Esau's gonna kill Jacob or wants to. So her, her idea is to but to sell it to Isaac. Use something else that is true, but that's yeah. not the in, tw- in 2635 it says, but Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac yeah. and Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that needed to be put in the word for everyone to hear, right? I mean, so it tells you the problem of these women in following a wrong path. But really, she's trying to save Jacob's life. Yeah. 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 Without telling Isaac directly that Esau plans to kill Jacob. Well, he was, she was really, and I think Harrison did a good job this last week of drawing out that she was basically trying to implant an idea into his head so that he would then kind of bless for him to kind of run away. And that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's neat to and see it, that, Esau to see that. And marries one of Ishmael's. Yeah, she's like, oh, I guess my parents don't like the Canaanite women. I guess they'd better find someone of my yeah. grandmother's mother. Hey. Hey. Hmm. It's like, oh, but you pick Ishmael, it's not. <laughs> so as we see how much Esau just like consumed with his flesh, with his sin, um, of being occupied and distracted with what the world had to offer, rearranging what was important in his own mind, which is what happened the first time they bit of that fruit in the garden, rearranging good for bad, bad for good. And he's thinking, I'm going to pursue what I need, my hunger, my, my senses, um, and not what, what uh, I know to be right, or I think he knew to be right. Um, and this is true of all born in Adam, is to serve, serve yourself, right? That's the whole, the whole pride chart. It's not like those that walked faithfully in, in humility, the continually leading on God, leaning on God for him to lead and teach them. Uh, they're, they're born on Satan's side and they remain on Satan's side. It's, it's a, the natural position. So yeah, his, his actions shouldn't surprise us. He was doing what was just natural. Um, as we talk about you know, even our kids and stuff and other people in our lives at times, it's like we shouldn't be surprised when things go a little sideways. Or a lot sideways. Or a lot sideways. Oh, I'm trying to keep it you know, light tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like even with like our kids, right? Every, a lot of us have kids and it's like, wow, yeah, right. They're born sinners. So they're going to want to self-gratify you know, in terms of greediness. I want the last chip or whatever. You know? It's like, right. We're doing, they're doing what's natural. Um, so, yeah, I think, Judy, you pointed out there's overlaps between Cain and Esau. Um, Esau was blinded by his sin nature, unrepentant and unwilling to come uh, to God, God's way in repentance and faith, and uh, just as Cain had done. And this meant he chose to remain under the judgment to come and accept that, the full weight of his sin debt um, and Satan's influence on his life, too. How do you guys think we're like Esau? Selfish. Yeah, always that temptation. Impulsive. Impulsive. Makes just making decisions without considering the consequences. Yeah. Don't make the greatest decisions on an empty stomach. <laughs> I've learned to eat something before going to the grocery store. Yeah, don't go to the grocery store. 
<laughs> and don't talk about heavy issues when you're hungry, right? With your spouse or kids or whatever. Dishonoring of parents or Yeah, yeah. Taking it for naught. Or even holding grudges. Maybe not to the point of saying I'm going to kill someone, but, you know. Maybe in your heart you have. Yeah. Yeah. You just said if you hate your brother, then you'd be a murderer. You've, yeah, you've done it. Yeah, yeah, as far as, yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't know to what degree Esau would have known of of all of God's truth, but I would assume being in the line of the deliverer, he would have known enough. And there was a rejection of that. I mean, we too. Uh, people around us are set for a season or for a long season. I rejected the truth of God's word as it came forward as I was part of, you know, Bible school or summer Bible camps and youth groups and stuff. I rejected it and rejected it and rejected it. Um, I was being told the truth. I was being, God's word was slowly being revealed to me, but uh, I was rejecting it, resisting it. And so I, I think all of us can attest to, to that on some degree. Um, Yeah, good stuff. Or not good stuff, but good feedback. How does our, um, how does our sin nature, I mean, it, it, maybe this is embedded in that last question, how does our sin nature and Satan distract and deceive us from God's word today? just the blessing being a burden. also affected by uh, like what meets the eye or like the, the sensuality of the world of things that distract that counterfeit that want to pull us aside that's de- that derailed a lot of people especially a lot of pastors and leadership uh, or pastors or whatever drugs alcohol toys music movies 
you know, how many, how many, and I, I mean, there's times I'm guilty of this too with shows, needing to rein it back, watching too many, you know, needing to be like, why am I wasting my time on whatever show, you know? Yeah, I mean, all, all that media, I'll just write media, media. Yes. including all that stuff. Which, you know, again, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. There's a lot of this stuff could be a bit benign. I'm not damaged. Like, even like, you know, a clean enough show. You're watching Walt Disney. I don't know. It's like, well, it's not, well, which I know. Don't get that stuff go down. That's old Disney, the Disney we grew up with. You think like, oh, you know, it's not that harmful, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, you're being lulled. You're just kind of sitting there and not doing much. And of course, we all need to relax. And I realize that, but... There, there could be distractions, is what I'm getting at. I was also just going to say, with some of those things on the list about you and just put the question, and then those last two things you wrote, like, for me in my experience, I know when I succumb to some of those things, then it's, it's often so that I don't even acknowledge what the outcome or the truth would be. Like, I just pretend I don't, it doesn't exist. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, then you're just focusing on, like, I don't know, being numbed or whatever from, from those things, and it's distraction actually mean like my attention is turned away and I ignore the reality of what the truth is. Yeah, yeah, you're shutting off like your truth monitor in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a distorted view of rest, right? Yeah. yeah. Rest is supposed to be, you know, with God's Rejuvenating. Yeah. Yeah. And, not and not just yeah, turning everything off yeah. and venting out. Yeah. 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 I mean, I like we're reading the Dangerous Calling book together right now, and it's it's warnings to pastors, and and TV is a big big one they bring up. You know that like. A few times. Yeah. They just numb yourself. It's just like because you can't process things that need processing with God, whether it's conflict or personal sanctification things or whatever. And you just block it out with TV, and yeah, you you are now amused. You are absent of sing- thinking. You're not musing. You don't have any musings, no thinking. You're amused, turning the brain off and not thinking. Just thinking at the age where some may have been in that picture there when he gets the stew, um, say 2021, 20, having lived approximately 7,000, rounding off about 7,000 days, and every day of those 7,000 days, God had supplied his needs. That's right. He's going to die. Is that God cannot come through for him. Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of forgetting happening. But I'd say that we can be like this. Yeah. Totally. Too, that, you know, how many times has God pulled us through difficult circumstances and another comes up and for a moment we think, oh, how's, yeah. how am I going to get through this one? You know? Yeah. As a missionary, I totally hear you. <laughs> How are these visas going to come through on time? How is going? <laughs> well, it's funny too that God actually did make a nation out of him. You know, he's, yeah. He, you know, there yeah. were some. The Edomites came to through. His, uh, to his promise, there even despite yeah. Yeah. 
But not because of Ishmael, because it was promised to Abraham. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Still happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost, like in a sense, you'd almost say like to a fault with like Ishmael. Like not to a fault. God does not have a fault. But like we have that expression, right? Like when you're like, they're generous to a fault, you know? It's like, God, did you really have to make Ishmael like a nation? Like her. It just goes to show like that there's this kind of parallel. I'm going to make lots of nations out of you and, you know, the coming deliverer as well. It's interesting. I think it's fascinating. It is, yeah. Uh, Herod apparently was an Edomian or an Edomite who also wanted to kill right. um, the descendant of Jacob. Hmm. Wow. You catch, the more times you go over this, the more you start to retain and catch, eh? Was it Ishmael who was the wild donkey of a man? Yeah. 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 I always thought it was crazy as well. So yeah, here God continues forward with, with, um, with his promise, with preserving his plan of the delivered, d- despite uh, humanity's uh, broken, brokenness and short-sightedness. Uh, our second point is God switches gears here, or in our perspective, switches gears here to choose Jacob. Um, he reveals uh, again and again his one way of restoring relationship with us for all of eternity. So we have this sort of the second story tonight um, of Jacob fleeing. He has the dream of the ladder, the ascending, descending, angels on it, God at the head. Uh, He has wives and wealth. He wrestles with God. There's a name change. um, And God blesses, renames, and reaffirms uh, the covenant that was made with with Abraham and, uh, and on. So as we mentioned in the previous point, yeah, Jacob, he's not exactly a perfect person. He's not like the, you know, the, the apple of God's eye, per se. Um, he's sinful, he's a schemer, he's a thief. Um, but as soon as, as soon as he got word of Esau's desire to kill him, um, Genesis uh, 28, uh, 10 and 11, uh, we start to read a little more about this here. Um, so he, he runs away. Um, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head uh, and lay down to sleep. I used to think a lot about that stone that he was sleeping on. Not that, I don't know if there's any great significance, but in Papua New Guinea, um, I, I, not many people still use this. I think, yeah, maybe 50-50. But they had like a little table that they would sleep on that, for their head. It, was like, it looked like a little super squatty stool. Wood, wood plank, four little wood legs, and that was their uh, their pillow. So when I when I learned that and I thought of this verse, I thought, well, the rock was probably warm. It was maybe a warmer climate at the time. I don't know, you know. <laughs> hmm. Yes, it could have been warm. It would have warmed up during the day. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And 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 people in Papua New Guinea would sleep on the highway at night because it retained the heat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're, it was a bit of a highway. It was like a road, like one of our side streets, but like transfer trucks flew down it. Um, so as a result, uh, we read in Gen- of what we read in Genesis 27. He, he fled, Jacob fl- uh, fled to Haran. While camping out for the night, God meets with him. Um, oh, I'm at that verse already. Um, I'll skip over those pictures there. He has a dream, uh, maybe because his neck is on a crook on that rock or something. Like, ah, was it that... Red lentil stew, or was it the rock? 
He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to, the, to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So God introduces himself as, as a present tense God of Abraham, God of Isaac. That's fascinating because where are they now at that time? Where, I, mean, I think Isaac, was Isaac dead, I think? Abraham definitely was. And, and he's, he's a present, present tense. I am still their God. Yeah? Right, that would be more the Abraham. Okay, yeah, interesting catch. Maybe it was just that the promise of the lineage, like Father Abraham of many nations. Maybe it's sort of that. That's where the song came from, hey? (laughs) I know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We're just chunking like, along here. Yeah. yeah. And I just love that this is, you know, adding one by one. And then, so, yeah. I just think it's cool, though, how, like, that part, though, where he's saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. It, just that, that, I get this eternality, security, forever, you know, from that, um, and other places, too, but. So here God eventually leads a, uh, Jacob back to Canaan. And on the trip back to Canaan, uh, Jacob wrestles with God and God changes his name to what? Israel. Israel. Interestingly, Israel means, does anyone know? Israel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Struggles with God. I also thought it had the meaning of God prevailing. Does it have that as well? Google it. Yeah. El, El being God, and I don't know Hebrew, so I couldn't tell you what Israel means. One says here, uh, God fights. Oh. So with God in the act, uh, subject, subject, whatever. And for nowadays, for us to look at this, He gave His, his descendants that part right there, the land that in which you're lying. So that was. That's their land, Israel's land. Yeah. And God has given it to them, and there's this fight over Israel, that little land. Isn't that? There. Yeah, it's, and it's so three crazy. Times that people are trying to take you out, and three times God has said that this is your land. In 1948, even, they, they proved it again. That's right. In our day, that this is Israel's land. Yeah. Still fighting over. I know, yeah. I know. When I, before I was a believer and not raised in a Christian home, my, I remember my folks talking about one of these fights in the Middle East, you're right. They're like, I don't get it. Why do they, they're always the Jews and the Muslims fighting over this one piece of land? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But like, you get into the word, you're like, I know. 
Now I know, you know. Find anything more there, Andrew? No, I was just wondering where, where's the, which uh, is the verse that it talks about in name? Ah, uh, is that what it is? Yeah. Chapter thirty-two, twenty-eight. Right after wrestling with God, no longer Jacob, the man told him, "From now on, you'll be called Israel, because you have fought with God, and with men, and have won, have overcome." Yeah, it's funny because I jotted down from my thought another last year that it was God prevails, but God fights, God wins. Either way, God prevails. If he's fighting, he, 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 uh, he got his point across. Let's go a little deeper. So the overall, beyond God's overall protection and undeserved blessing on Jacob's life, we want to look more carefully at Jacob's dream of the ladder reaching, reaching to heaven. What do you guys think? What, like, when you see that, that picture there, God's at the head, angels ascending and descending, so there's a movement in his dream. Um, what is that? What does this reveal about God? What would you, what would you, could you, from what we know of God already, through the stories of the word, what is that saying of God in this, in this uh, vision or dream? Talking about more ascending and descending. When, you, when I first thought about this and saw that, you know, you think of them coming down and then going back up again, but they're ascending up to God and coming back. So seeing it in reverse order, are you saying? Or? Well, just that they are now married on earth and they go up into the presence of God. Hmm. And then whatever is there in the presence of God, bringing that back down to Jacob and Israel. Hmm. It's just one of those little detailed things that the ascending and descending, rather than thinking about them descending. From yeah, the okay. Back yeah, yeah. Deeper. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's th- this is exactly it. No, there is. There's an act activity there. Um, God is reaching, you know, with this activity. I think. It seems like it's a, also an indication that God is actively involved with this creation. He's not just in a far off heaven somewhere. That's not. He doesn't have any interest in engaging with us. He has his angels. They're active too to do his bidding to yeah. be involved with his creation in, in whatever way he would tell them. Yeah. yeah. And then he's right there because he was at the top of speaking, right? Yeah. yeah, speaking, exactly. I think there's an aspect of the communication there mm-hmm. of God communicating. Up to this point, you really don't see. of Jacob uh, really trying to approach God uh, that he has a sense that there is you know a certain order and that God you know God's blessing is something that's important but not really that uh, it seems that God is distant to Jacob, and he doesn't really have much of a personal relationship. So I see in this is uh, 
God taking the first steps to yeah. you know, walk with me. Amen, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. God being the initiator, the pursuer. Yeah, it's like a one-on-one that God is coming to him. Yeah, these are some things to, yeah, just jot down, look at a little closer. God's desire to communicate. There's his initiating, his pursuing Jacob um, clearly and effectively. I mean, he was speaking to Jacob in a way that he was understanding in, in, in his language, in his way of communicating, or in a, one of his ways of communicating. God being the initiator, not Jacob, not mankind. Again, Jacob was kind of this sly little sinner who was a de- deceiving along the way, but yet God, in his grace, reaches out to Jacob, and like us as well, sinners, he reaches out to us to restore relationship. God reaffirms his covenant uh, at, uh, with Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, and uh, that's a reminder of us, of God being faithful to keep his promise. He's a covenant-keeping God. Um, What else here? Um, and I mean, with God being at the top, I mean, you could kind of think like, yeah, he is, he is supreme. He is the Lord, owner, boss. Um, he's involved, being the head. Uh, the latter gives me this idea, kind of, uh, and again, I don't want to overstate, but it's just, it's, it's just my imagination a bit of this ladder. There's a bridge. And what do we think of with the bridge when we think of the deliverer? Um, he is the bridge, you know, the deliverer is the rescuer, the bridge to God, um, which is made possible through the, the relationship with the deliverer. Um, anyways, just, just interesting stuff to consider. I'm not going to go to a theological war on that, <laughs> but... Uh, Are we going to read John 1.51? Pardon? Are we going to read John 1.51? I don't think so. You want to read it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, just because you said he's the bridge, so there, um, this is Jesus speaking to Nathaniel. Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So that thing, like, similar to this. There we go. on Jesus, which means he is the stairway. That's awesome. I'm going to try and... See, this is a neat thing with, like, the digital copies. I can put this in as you say it. Well, I can with the other one, too, but then I need to transcribe it. John 151. Yeah. It's awesome probably didn't have it in there because it's got the name Jesus. Yeah, I know. That's what I was like. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Way to ruin the ending. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> you have something, Andrew? Oh, no. I was just thinking how, you know, uh, here's this Jacob, you know, he's got nothing. He's laying on a, with his head on a rock. But, you know, it just shows that, that there was eternal consequences and that heaven was absolutely concerned with what was happening with this dude on, with his head yeah. on the rock. And, um, and it's true, you know, obviously it's not true of everyone who's out on a rock, <laughs> uh, but with this guy, I mean, that, that if, I was, if I was laying with my head on a rock and that happened, I would th- I would, that's what I would think, that God's concerned with my journey that I'm making. Yeah, God of the universe. 
Yeah. yeah. Totally. You have their body be in the shade or Yeah. Yeah, it's humbling, isn't it? Um, Yeah. 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 It's mysterious, and that's why it's a miracle. Um, so far, as we think of this being a sign of the deliverer, let's look at some of the other ones that we've already seen. With uh, Adam and Eve and their skin, there's a covering, an acceptable covering. What about uh, with Noah? What did he get on board? The ark, right? The ark of safety which sheltered him from God's wrath. The deliverer will shelter us from God's wrath. How about with the uh, lot being taken by the angel's hand and, and brought out of Sodom? He was rescued actively uh, from God's wrath on sin. How about uh, when... Not just, no, well, his uncle petitioned, but he was counted as righteous, and so the angels weren't going to destroy it because righteous Lot was still in Sodom. So he was secure. Yeah, he was secure. We see the security of, if you want to say the believer here, time and again, God shutting in him into the ark, uh, Lot being declared righteous already, even though he was compromised, if you want to say. Um, again, it wasn't on his works or his performance. Um, and then, and then with the substitute ram being provided in, in the place of Isaac. Just, it's amazing. You start to see the repeat brought about in so many ways that communicated culturally relevant truths of the one message, the deliverer, the rescuer, acceptable, safe, rescued, substitute. Yeah, and now this one with the ladder. I'm bridging the gap. I'm coming to you. So in Exodus 3.6, God introduces himself to Jacob's descendants as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There you go. This would be implied that Jacob had repented of sin and put his faith in the coming deliverer and was accepted. Um, I need to put a straw on good old Jacob there. Don't let me walk away tonight without doing that. Um, Hebrews as well, 11.21 mentions Jacob's faith as well. So as we, as we think of this, uh, the ladder that God initiated, that God provided with Jacob, I want to ask you guys tonight another contrast question. What are, what are ladders that we try to put up to reach God, to bridge the gap? Just out of curiosity, as I was playing, might have no importance. Just because with both the John passage and in the passage I read here, it says stairway, and you were using the word ladder specifically. Any reason for that? Um, it might be just a translation on, okay. on uh, the Old Testament. What do I have? I mean, I, I think some must have ladder. Some must have stair. Yeah. This is New King James. I think okay. it may have ladder. I'm just curious. It's like, how steep is it? Are we talking, God? Yeah. It's like... <laughs> it's, like a wooden rung ladder? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember there's a toy I played with as a kid. It's called Jacob's, Jacob's Ladder. ladder. Right, yeah. 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 yeah.
my grandparents could get you. Either way, it's something to ascend and descend upon. Yeah. <laughs> that, that spans the gap. Yeah. So what, are, what is the ladder or stairs that uh, we try to erect or put up uh, in our lives that is man-initiated versus God-initiated? Being good. Yeah. Yeah, doing good works. And all that's bundled up with giving enough, attending enough, participating enough. Comparison to those around us. Yeah, comparatively. Yeah. Or, com- yeah, just in general, I'm not as bad as. Do you see the Jones kids? Ours aren't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the Starks get to say. You see the Rizzo kids? <laughs> yeah, that's why we go to friends' places. To make make yourself feel better. Now we're not that bad. Yeah. That was an encouraging visit, honey. When you get home, you realize, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. You're doing What else? Yeah. I would say like uh, you know like 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 religious markers like um, like uh, you know like that I'm a Jew or okay or that I you know I grew up in a Catholic family. Or I was baptized as a baby. Or I was baptized as a baby, something like that. Yeah. I take communion. I take uh, Eucharist. I take. Yeah, I've been. Confirmation. That's yeah, a lot of the traditional, like, yeah, yeah, within yeah. the Catholic, the Lutheran, the Anglican. Yeah. yeah. Or even gifts of the Holy Spirit, like even speaking in tongues. Like yeah. That's right off the reference. Really yeah. Tongues. Yeah. Prophecy. Thinking about if we just join the right organization, that will bring us closer to God. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, even what about even traditions? You said the right things, you did the right whatever, offered the right whatever. Yeah. And then there's a scripture that says, I never knew God, I did all these things in your name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, the, even the, in the Tower of Babel, they said they were going to build their, their stairway to heaven, so to speak, their, their tower. I mean, it was, I think, talking of a different heaven, not, not uh, God's heaven, but the heavens, the skies, but God came down. <laughs> I got to come down to your thing reaching up, which isn't very far. Yeah, it just doesn't work, hey? These things help us to fall so far short of the mark of what God alone can do. Well, you see those ziggurats, too. They are like steps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. I mean, it's, it's only going to be through us saying in, in humility that, that everything we have is found in God, that his way, his one way, his um, just trusting in him to, to protect, to guide, to save is in him alone.
So what do we do with our stairways? Do we maintain these? Keep on giving a little more, keep on attending a little harder, keep on... Good. Okay, I need to schedule a meeting with you again. <laughs> so, I mean, from this story, we see that God initiated it, God did it. Jacob didn't know he needed God to reconfirm re, uh, his covenant or tell him about the land he was lying on. God did it all. And with the rescuer, God will do it all. With us, God will do it all. So God chose Jacob, a sinner, yet one who put his faith in God, came God's way, trusted in God's way. Again, even though he was a slickster, evil can't hinder God's plan for the deliverer to come. Third part, on God's plans prevailing. So God alone is the absolute ruler and owner over everything, and everything is under his authority. Remember we talked, and we continue to talk about his sovereignty being supreme. Um, He doesn't need to consult anybody. Uh, because he is holy God Almighty, the one who has ultimate authority because he made all things. He doesn't need to ask permission to borrow that dugout canoe. He made every dugout canoe. That's us. <laughs> and uh, so he orchestrates all things. Remember we had that one picture there of like a band or- orchestrator or whatever? How do you say that? Conductor? He, his plans prevail because he orchestrates it all. So this final story here, we're jumping now into, into Joseph, um, which is a son of Jacob, Israel, um, the youngest of the twelve. Um, well, is he, he, he's Jacob, sorry. Benjamin. Sorry, thank you. Benjamin's the youngest, but he was, he was Jacob's favorite. And, uh, and this coat, uh, there's all these things that just end up really kind of being like, you're going to be picked on, <laughs> you know? Like he was, he was, he was his dad's pet favorite. Uh, you know, he was, he was set apart with the coat and I'm sure other favoritism along the way. Um, he ends up having these dreams that were really not lifting his brothers up. Like, yeah, they're going to like me when I tell them this, right? Like, they're gonna, their sheaves are going to bow down to mine and my sheave is rising up. And the cross is like that really not socially acceptable homeschool kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what the story we tell, told. Yeah, I want it to be truth. Cultural norms. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and Jacob or uh, Joseph would have known, I'm sure that this was digging and robbing and like, nah, 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 nah. you can't reach me, I'm dad's favorite. You know, like, I'm in the line of the deliverer. <laughs> I don't know, you know. No, he wasn't, but. <laughs> yeah, arrogant. Um, so I have. Uh, <laughs> I have Joseph's name there on the board tonight as well. Um, let's read Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 and 4. Would someone read that for me? Now Israel loved Joseph more than, all his, more than his other sons, because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Hmm. So there you have it, the authority of the word. That's, that was Rachel's son. You know, all those years without her having and having to pray for his, his child. And, and she finally had this son. You know, you get a little realize where, where he was coming from to make this son a favorite son, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we see here, yeah. <laughs> So we see here that, 
Sorry, I keep cutting you guys off. No, no you go ahead. Yeah, we keep cutting you off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's, it's understandable since you loved Rachel. That was the person you wanted to marry in the first place. And then all those things. So it makes sense. It's not good and it's not right. But as humans, I think we can understand how um, Israel might have, well, did favor Jake and Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, from the human vantage point, yeah. So in these, in these two verses here, we see that, that Jacob's sons hated Joseph because he was favored. Um, we'll read the next couple of verses there, five, or a few verses, five to eight, as it gets into the dream here. Somebody want to go for that? Five to eight. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. The next dream too? Pardon? And the next dream? Uh, just to eight there. Um, so there you have it. Pretty, pretty straightforward. <laughs> like, what do you think this is? You think, you think we're going to bow down? You, you think, you little brat. <laughs> yeah, because they would all, most of them would have been older than him anyway. Yeah. So they hated him more. Good job, buddy. Yeah. Telling your brothers that dream really made you liked more. Not. So now you, sorry? Just, uh, just looking through all the text, just curious. Because yours said many colors for the robe. Again, this isn't that important. I'm just curious what other people's translations say because it just says in my translation here, ornamented robe. But it, it's richly. But it just does, says that there isn't a, a clear definition in the original Hebrew. I think that's so I'm just curious where they get the... Because yeah. Just yeah. Heard it NLT just goes colors. to beautiful robe. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to have burnt forearms. Lucky you. Yeah, the Septuagint apparently says a robe with long sleeves. And then this one says a robe with many colors. So, uh, the so we don't actually know, know that it was colorful. Yeah. It was just We're set apart. Just say it was different yeah, different, yeah. yeah. I would say it had to have been something very special because when they saw Joseph coming from a distance, they knew that was Joseph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's got to be something. That's true, yeah. Um, so yeah, as, we, as you get into that part there, Judy, let's, let's read that part. Soon after this, Joseph's brother, in verse 12, Joseph's brothers went out to pasture, went to pasture their fa- father's flocks at Shechem. When they had gone, been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. <laughs> Yeah, da, da, da. <laughs> go and see your brother. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to, the, to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron, Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around in the countryside. What are you looking for? He asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told them. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. 
When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in a distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Then we can tell our father, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben ah, heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying the hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward, toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd lose, or we'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Oh, they're so nice. Yeah, so, like when the yeah, so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by Joseph's brother, brothers, pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him off to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. So he was genuine. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? He was the eldest too, right? So he had responsibility. Then the brothers killed a young goat and had dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They, they sent the beautiful robe to their father with his message. Look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I'll go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an official, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So they had this plot to kill Joseph, thought they could make a buck instead. Reuben was trying to protect uh, him. Uh, Judah, too, had some, uh, some honor here in wanting to preserve his brother. Uh, but some, some, yeah. But uh, he, yeah, he ended up being sold as a true slave. Um, Potiphar uh, had him, and he was captain of the palace guard. Um, we know the story continues that he, he was falsely accused, thrown into jail, forgotten by man, and left to die. Sound familiar? Um, for the sake of time, I won't read all of that. Um, if I were Joseph, I'd probably question God's sovereignty right here. Is God really in control? Wouldn't you? It's not looking like a pretty, a very positive situation or how to put a positive spin on it. Find the silver lining. We'll keep reading a little bit more to see how God was orchestrating uh, all of humanity here, even with a pagan king, to bring the deliverer in his perfect timing. Um, we'll read just two verses. Flip forward to Genesis 41. So he's been in prison, he's, uh, he's uh, been forgotten about. We're at uh, 41 here, Pharaoh's having these dreams. Uh, read, we'll read verses 14, 15, and 16. It says here, And Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from prison, from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I, but I have heard that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. How did God move Pharaoh, the king who worshipped these pagan idols? Gave him a dream. Yeah. Nobody else could interpret it. Yeah, it says that just before in those first uh, several verses of chapter 41. So this pointed him to Joseph. Yeah, the person remembered Joseph. Cupbearer remembered. Yeah, oh, right. By the way, how many more? Yeah. (laughs) Talk about not a good friend. Um, What was Joseph's response? The last verse of... uh, what I just read. I have no power. God can do it. This shows his faith, eh, that during all this time he attributed those even when it seems like it was his ability to God. Like yeah. Yeah. Evidence of his living faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, choosing to trust God, Joseph acted, he acted in God's confidence. Humility, humbly saying, again, God will provide. He'll interpret this dream. So, through Joseph, God revealed the meaning of Pharaoh's dreams. The dream was, as it goes forward there, it talks of, he was sending seven years of bounty, followed by seven years of famine, of struggle. The food was going to be scarce. Pharaoh was so impressed, you guys, that he immediately made Joseph the governor of the whole land to gather food in preparation for the famine. He rose to be second in power. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, take heart from this story. When things seem like a dead end, God brings the answers. God can move the world to make things happen. So. And I think he only had to wait about 13 years. Yeah. And that was the thing. Is that all, right? When I first heard that was the idea. Because you hear the story lots in like Sunday school, growing up in the church, yeah. and family, whatever. And then that little truth bomb is dropped one day. Yeah. And it's like, wait, 13 years in prison? And it's just like, how on earth do you come out of 13 years of prison? And the first thing you say oh, just God. affirms your trust in God, God's timing, God's planning, God's sovereignty. And it's just like, oh, yeah, he's good. How long were you in prison? Yeah, this unjustly. wasn't a week or a month unjustly. How is this your first response? Yeah. Like, and it just... Oh, yeah. yeah, see, it was still a week in my brain. Yeah. Or, or something like it. I know, and that's kind of what I think, too. Yeah. Usually when I have the story, and then, like, I forget how many... It was only a few years ago that I remember yeah. someone saying, it was 13 years he spent in prison. I was like, sorry, yeah. what? And these weren't pleasant prisons, like today where you can get an education. Yeah. This was, was like, die, yeah. die prison. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where he went, he was he he responded in a way that honored God and was favored. They gave him um, a rule over the prison, like people oh. looked up to him. Even Potiphar's fat uh, in his mm-hmm. wife only to Potiphar. Mm-hmm. He was in charge of everything, but he wouldn't be defiled by right. Potiphar's wife. Everywhere yeah. he was. Yeah, immorality is pressing in, and yeah. he was faithful. It, uh, there was someone told me a, this really cool quote a while ago. It was like, um, 
doesn't matter what happens to you as a follower of God, it's who you become in the process. And who did Joseph become in the process? It, right away with the dream, like you said, God will interpret this dream. God honored his, his honoring of God and, and brought him out of prison, allowed him to be brought into power in Egypt. Um, yeah, this, this is a story. I, I love this story. I think it offers a lot of hope to a lot of hopeless-looking situations. I mean, even some of you know our story for when, from when we were in Papua New Guinea. You know, we prepared 11 years to get there. And we were there like barely two years and just to have it all flipped on its head. And it made no sense to me whatsoever. The reasons didn't make sense to me. Like I wanted to believe them just so that I could be put at ease. And I couldn't. You know, cross-examination and other people looking, I couldn't. It's it just not for a lack of wanting to accept it. It just didn't add up. So like I, right away I felt like God's Spirit brought me to Joseph's story. And boy, I hung on to that. This last, even just this last two years, because that's the time frame that it's been for me, just clung to God's sovereignty and camped under that banner of God is sovereign. Because all the ridiculousness of what happened, you know, 11 years to get to Papua New Guinea, barely two years there, just to be brought back. You know, you think of, uh, I think of the years and the finances and all these things that I poured into that. Um, and even with Joseph, like he, the age he was at, the years he spent in prison, um, it wasn't justified. Like, you know, he, he couldn't see the reasons. I couldn't see the reasons. But it's like God doesn't ask that, or doesn't tell us to be able to see it all. He just asks us to be obedient and be faithful. And so that's the one, as I charge I give to you guys too, is we face hopeless situations or situations that just seem to not be just or fair or what have you. Remain faithful, remain obedient, because God can change the landscape of the universe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what he did for Joseph here. Let's read uh, 10 verses, uh, 41, chapter 41, 37 to 47. Joseph's suggestions were, were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So this is talking about the famine uh, and making preparation. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Wow. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second-in-command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, however you say that, Zephanath Paneah. He also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potiphar the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was only 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. As predicted, for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. During those seven years, I'll read in a little more here. During those, seven year, during those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore, Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. Interesting, that daughter of Potiphar. 
Potifera. Yeah, the names can get Potiphera confusing. Was a priest of on, apparently. Opposite to off? I'm sure that's not how you say it. It's probably like own or something like that. And so God uses Joseph to manage the food during these years of plenty so that the, not only Egypt, but even the surrounding areas would have food during the famine years. So this included J- Jacob and Joseph's brothers and their families. <clears throat> so Jacob, Israel, who and all his family end up coming to Egypt and then living in Egypt. And this, that part becomes important for our next lesson. Um, but as it was foretold by God to Abraham and Joseph, Joseph's brothers came to buy in a foreign land and bowed down to Joseph. So that was that dream, bowing down the sheaves. As a result, Joseph's entire family ended up moving to Egypt because there was food there. I wonder if Joseph ever mentioned that dream again to his brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, by the way, remember that dream yeah. that you initially sold me off into slavery because of? Yeah, redemption! <laughs> Just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, so up to this point, as we go deeper again on this point, despite all the evil of mankind and the scheming of Satan and his demons to thwart God's plan, to attack his image bearers, God sovereignly worked to fulfill his plan. Again, it seems impossible, but it happened. God didn't cause the evil, but he worked through it. And it's not a coincidence as we look at these things that Joseph had special dreams. He was born into a family who, where the father favored him. He had, I don't think, much doing with that. Um, causing his brothers to despise him, which caused them to harm him, which caused him to be sold into slave traders. His brothers wanted to kill him, but it's no coincidence that he wasn't killed, that his slavery, betrayal, and jail brought him close at hand to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's needs, that Pharaoh's dreams couldn't be interpreted, and, and his interpretation shocked Pharaoh so much that he brought him in and said, you are so intelligent. I kind of chuckled at that word. I don't know why it just seemed... Um, but he, of course, gave credit to God with the dream interpretation. Um, Joseph, uh, Joseph so impressed Pharaoh, he made him governor of the stockpile of food. The famine spread so far that then his family came in. Is that coincidence? All of those things? What is that? God's in control. God's plan, yeah. And as a result, the line of the deliverer continued. Another of God's prophecies to Abraham was fulfilled, that his offspring would live in a foreign land. That, that's where we're going to spill over into next lesson. And Beck, uh, Amy, you said this too, what, what Joseph's brothers planned for evil, he reminds them, God used for good. What do you guys think, knowing that God does accomplish what he sets out to do? I think it's just one of those things that's just continuously, you just see through so many of these stories, it's time. And it says we, we get this concept of promises that maybe God has given us or God's given through script or whatever. It's just this idea of like, well, he's promised this, so I want to see effects of this. Not necessarily, you know what? It might be the last thing that I kind of contribute to before my dying breath. And I will have zero knowledge of the effects of that going forward. It's just the idea of like time-wise, us as humans we just we want to be a part of it we want to see it now we want to see what, our lifetime go, yeah the whole timeline but the, the idea of grasping we are such an in reality an insignificant part of that timeline 
just to be faithful, doesn't matter how grand or how small it is, the fact that God wants to use us, it can be however. And so in the, in the idea of um, Abraham becoming so old before the son that they have, right. and, and then the idea of then going to sacrifice him. And it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter the aspect of what the timing is. The idea is, are we faithful? And is our, our motivation for doing what we're doing simply out of awe and respect and love God is sovereign, or is it okay? I want to see what's going to happen. I want. I want to know what's next. I want to. Mm-hmm. I want it to happen now. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. is it like you know what? Whenever it happens, it's fine. Yeah. Because I don't care because I know who's in control. And so time just always seems to be such a huge aspect that we like to put a lot of importance on when a lot of these people never did. They yeah. Care. Yeah. The humanism today of our world, where where time is the most precious commodity. Everything's ruled by. Everything's ruled by it. If you can do it faster, more efficiently, efficiently, higher out, all this stuff, you know. Yeah. Where in reality, God just wants you to bow and recognize his authority and his plan, knowing that he's in control. So it will happen, and it might not be in our lifetime. We might not see any effect of it. That's right. Just simply, you know what? Do what you're told. Yeah. (laughs) Obedience and faith, yeah. Yeah. Another thing that goes hand in hand with that is if you look at the Psalms, how many times is the word wait used? <laughs> like wait on the Lord. Yeah. Wait patiently for him. Do wait not fear. He waits on the Lord. So we'll be renewed. Lord, trust in him. Yeah. Wait for him. Wait on him. I did a <laughs> look that up once. There's a yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just thinking of how even in this example of um, like with the thirteen years in prison for Joseph or the fact that we'll come to is that yes, the line of deliver was saved from famine due to this. They were in bondage for 400 years. 400 years. So like just thinking about how many generations, how many generations and, <laughs> and like time in that aspect too. Is like yeah. How God uses time and suffering in because there's a lot of suffering in the time. That's just to, it. To change. I mean, I think it's clear in the New Testament too that suffering um, produces stuff. You know, it changes us and produces things. So like, like by when Joseph came out of prison and was able to say, I can't do that, but God will, will be able to answer me. God does it. Like, I wonder if that's something he even was um, perfected in or clarified, you know, what's the mm-hmm. word purified in during yeah. his suffering in prison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And how often do we take our our times of, of trouble as idea of like, okay, what is God preparing me for? How are how am I being shaped now in what is seemingly a bad situation? What is that doing for me for later? Yeah. And even if it's just humbling us, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's faith is you don't get to see it all. No. Yeah. It's and you may never get to see it. Right. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is pointing to, and you touched on it, is like. It's hardship, like time, this, this longevity, this dragging out, this having to have patience, some of it's not pleasant. Walking in relationship with God, we can learn from Joseph's life too. It's not a guaranteed life of ease, and God doesn't promise ease. Look, look at Joseph's life. Look at the, the injustice, the not fair, like I didn't do anything to get thrown in that well and get tossed into slavery and this and that. Like, I mean, this is major. Like anything, I think, in our lives is going to be minuscule compared to Joseph's life. Um, 
Maybe not, but so far in my life, I can say that. I can hope. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny that we just did Esau, and he did the opposite of wait on the Lord. Right. I want it now. I want this now. Yeah. Yeah, despite all the trials that, that Joseph faced, he continued to humbly walk in, in faithful obedience and trust of God. God protected him. God blessed him, as you, we clearly see in the scriptures, bringing him out of slavery, second command over Egypt, and, and just the wisdom that God gave him. And God is just showing himself to be faithful to his own word. What kind of hardships do you guys uh, think that cause you uh, to doubt God's plans? I mean, I think both of you guys kind of talked about this time, like this waiting maybe. Well, sometimes the time, for in my life at least, the time, some of the time stuff has been because of suffering. You know, like there was, it was, it was like a prolonged, this prolonged period of suffering. So then, sort of the beginning of it at least, it's like, <coughs> what is going on? Why are you doing this, God? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I don't know, for me, it's, I've had a lot of peace with accepting the fact that God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing, and he provides for me still, even if there is continual suffering, you know? Like, and it's really, I don't really get a lot more, I, I personally have a lot more peace, even in hardship, when I just, like, humble myself before his... Um, Truths? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I'm not God, and... I guess I needed to learn that the hard way. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing when things aren't going well for us, how like much we can think we're like a big deal. Like, God, like I'm a God, like, not that you think you're so important, but it's just like, you can think like, God, you need to fix this. You yeah. need to come down like you did, you know, in a special way. I remember when I was like, you know, through the years, there's been times you know, after becoming a Christian, where I'm like, well, these guys are Christians, and look what you're giving them. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and look at how, how easy things are for them. Like, why me? And then, you know, I've learned over time that actually, you know, there's a reason, you know, I can even see some reason why he might not want to have given me those things, because I would have, wouldn't have appreciated them. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of suffering I had to do in order to even realize that that person was blessed. Hmm. You know, hmm. but. Yeah. It's not directly related to the. It's d- related to this time period, but not necessarily this story. Janet has come across a false concept, a very damaging false concept about the idea that if there's someone born out of wedlock, that that person is cursed and is almost like irredeemable, just cursed from birth and cursed forever. Hmm. And in the story of Judah, a really bizarre story, I think in chapter 37, the one through whom God chooses to be in the family line of the deliverer is the one born, one of the two, one of the twins born to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, that he impregnated, thinking she was a prostitute. Right, right. And so, and actually elevated above his legitimate son, Sheila. And so, um, and so just, yeah, a thought again about God's graciousness that beyond the graciousness of, of man, that the one that has 
you know, a very beyond questionable birth uh, circumstance is actually gets to be the one mm. in the family line. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I just noticed that part too about Judah as he was going through it here. That was a time when he was away from his brothers after all of this took place. Um, of Joseph came and Judah left the family for a time. Or he was kicked out of the family because of his part in that or what. But um, mm. he wasn't there and that's when he lost his two sons, two, hmm. they had died. Yeah, there's, I, there's so much, eh? Like, Dread. yeah. Dread. Yeah, I mean, you, you, the list I'm sure could be a mile long of, of the things that cause us to doubt God's plan um, different hardships, whether it's whatever you call persecution in your life or negative self-thoughts that you're worthless or whatever but remember that god alone is god alone is a ruler and owner over everything you know our suffering whether it's uh, illnesses or tragedies or still everything is under god's authority the authorities he puts in place have been put there by him we see multiple challenges and threats to god's plan even up to this point in time to preserve the line of the deliverer but god's plans prevail and this is, this is the beauty of who God is. In His holiness, is His su- being supreme, evil cannot hinder His plan for the, for the deliverer. So, that's kind of the lesson. I guess in conclusion, I just want to have this little snippet here. Um, we can ask ourselves, think about this. Are you, are you like Cain or Esau? Or Cain and Esau? Are your own desires more important to you than God and what God has to teach you about the deliverer? Are you also going to turn away from God's truth and follow your own way like Cain and Esau? Or are you going to be like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who admitted their sin, trusted in God to provide the deliverer to, to cover over them? No matter what, God is sovereign. Like Joseph, will we trust God even when, the experience, when we experience hardship? when we experience suffering, what have you. God doesn't owe us an explanation. He didn't have to give Joseph an explanation. This is why I had to do this, 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 this. But we can see it looking back on Scripture, which is our authority. We can see how it pieces together. God doesn't owe us an explanation. Maybe we'll get to see the pieces in heaven one day, looking back on our lives. But he didn't do it for Joseph. But we can trust God with the the difficult things that we go through. God isn't finished yet. And we can go for it because we recognize that while God doesn't orchestrate evil, we know that he is working, working it out for his purposes, all things for his purposes and plans through it. We exist for him. He owns us. He's eternity past. He's eternity future. We exist for him. He owns us, whether we live uh, in, in faithful, humble, repentant, living with him or in rebellion, we still exist for God's purposes. If we don't live in the light of eternity, we can be like Esau and risk selling out for a bowl of stew. That's it. Evil can't hinder God's plan for a deliverer. This kind of brings us to the end of the book of Genesis. 
uh, as we finish the story of Joseph. Um, so we're, we're kind of starting to clip along. Um, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed that tonight. It was a lot of story. You know, Jacob and Esau and their tensions and Jacob running away and then Joseph and his whole thing. Um, if this were, yeah, I was thinking if, the, if I was teaching this in a community, um, maybe where people don't have as much of a foundation, I would probably break this into three lessons easily or three different visits or what have you. And, uh, and as well, as, I, as, as you guys think of maybe where God might lead you guys in teaching it, move at the pace of understanding, not the pace of what's the next number in the lesson. Well, we've done three, so tomorrow's four, or next week's four. No, you're on three until you have, so long, uh, you don't proceed unless you have some assurance that uh, feedback from the people that they're catching the concepts that are already being delivered. I mean, we're clipping along because you guys have already come to me with uh, quite a bit of high understanding. Um, but never, never think that, even if it's not established, whatever truth you're teaching and discipling somebody through, don't keep going down the storyline unless the concepts have been grabbed. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have to go back at some point and do some excavating, and, uh, and that can be more painful. <laughs> um, I just have one thought. Uh, uh, just uh, the thought is that this is actually a really important book, <coughs> I think. Um, I'm glad you changed it to what it is, and, and um, because I think a lot of new Christians, especially, really struggle with this one. Because when you get to the cross, um, you know, I've I've met many people who just struggle with the cross and the scandal of the cross, and people worry that like, how can it be that? Like, well, what's going on in the cross? Is it God? Uh, if, is it God bringing about this really good thing, or is it the injustice of people acting on this perfect person? Which one is it? And it's just something that people really struggle with. Which one is it? And they feel like they have to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that not only is it the worst injustice that men have ever uh, perpetrated, it is also the way that God saves. Uh, uh, you know, this is the way God brings about the greatest good. It's twin realities, right? And you can't yeah. compromise one for the other. Struggle. I yeah. Think that, like I, I've met several folks who really struggle with that. Yeah. And anyway, it's a good hook. That's the, mm, thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Praise God. Who wants to close us in prayer, and we'll eat more popcorn. Sure. Dear Lord, I want to just thank you so much for your goodness, your truth, the scripture you've given us that we can uh, come to it. But Lord, that we come to it with an open mind, um, a humble mind, knowing that we can study it and pour over it and read it over, memorize it. Lord, but none of it will make sense without your spirit and without your guidance. And we thank you so much that you promised that for us. And we ask that you continue to work in each of our lives as we continue to study, that you continue to open our eyes and open our hearts to, to new truths about who you are, to your character um, and your love for us, and Lord, for ultimately your glory. Mm-hmm. And I pray that you continue to be with Britt as he leads these studies mm-hmm. and just in the, the guidance that you will give him um, for where you want them to uh, go that your will will be fulfilled in, in him and Jody and their family 
pray for all of us as well. Thank you so much for your grace to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.